As I mentioned earlier, the text for this morning's sermon comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the verses 1 to 11. The previous readings we've done have given us a picture of the Thessalonian church, and I will move on and read from our text in chapter 5. Chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Thus far our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you live for the weekend? That's a common thing to say in our culture, isn't it? Do you work all week in order to enjoy a good Friday night out? Or maybe, do you work for vacation? Do you suffer through the hard work year in order to make it to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico? That's the perspective of many people in our world. It doesn't really matter what happens during the week as long as you have enough money to enjoy yourself on the weekend or on vacation. After all, there's no greater joy to be had than dipping your toes in the sand in Cancun. Live your best life now. You only live once. This is the kind of perspective that the Apostle Paul writes about to the Thessalonians. But this way of living is built on nothing more than what someone can see in the world around them. It doesn't take into account the realities of eternal life or eternal death. The unbeliever looks ahead to the weekend or their next vacation, but they don't look ahead to the return of the Lord Jesus. Instead, they live in a cycle of sleeping, working, sleeping, working, party, repeat. But the Apostle Paul has a different message for the Thessalonians. Since the Lord Jesus will return, since there is more to life than just what someone can see on the surface, 
They are to live in a different way. Paul teaches that in a sense, looking forward to the weekend must shape how the believer lives each weekday. But it's not Friday night that we're looking forward to. It's the return of the Lord Jesus. Because one day, those who work only for the weekend will have their weeks unexpectedly interrupted by the return of the Lord Jesus. But for us, if we live prepared during the week for his return, then we will receive a reward far better than any weekend or any vacation. We will live with the Lord Jesus himself. And that brings us to our theme for this morning's sermon. Let us keep awake and be sober as we live in light of the day of the Lord. First, we'll see our identity as children of the day. Second, our task as children of the day. And third, our destiny as children on the great day. So first, our identity as children of the day. In this letter, Paul writes to a church that is made up of new believers, most of whom are Gentile. Our expectation might be that they were still learning how to put their faith into practice. But the Thessalonians, though they were young, were faithful. Paul writes in chapter 1, You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And in our reading from Acts chapter 17, we, we saw some affliction, didn't we? The Jews formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. And when they could not find them, that is, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. The believers immediately sent Paul and Silas away from this dangerous situation. But even in the next city, Jews from Thessalonica came to disrupt Paul's preaching. And if the Jews were, and the entire city were causing trouble from the start... These new believers in Thessalonica would have had to live lives of faith with their eyes wide open to persecution. In the final verses of chapter 1, Paul summarizes their faith. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This summary raises some themes that will appear throughout the letter. Waiting for God's Son from heaven, and the theme that Jesus delivers his people from the wrath to come. We could say that the Thessalonians are forward looking believers, they wait for the Lord Jesus. And then just before our text begins in chapter 4, Paul writes about what will happen when the Lord Jesus returns. All his people, those who have died and those who are still alive, will meet him as he returns in the clouds. But now in chapter 5, as our text begins, Paul shifts his attention. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul and Silas may not have been among the Thessalonians for very long, but they had taught them well. 
Paul doesn't provide them here with any new information, but assures and reminds them that they already know the truth about the Lord's return. And we should notice that Paul uses an important phrase for the first time in this letter. He refers to the day of the Lord. What is this day? In the context of the letter, it might already be clear to us that it's the day when the Lord Jesus returns. But we should know that the term, the day of the Lord, was also used in the Old Testament. The prophet Amos writes, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. So in this text and in others in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is a day of terrible judgment against those who do not fear God. So we should know that the day of the Lord in our text doesn't just describe the day that Jesus will return, but it also points to the fact that he will return in judgment. And then Paul uses an illustration. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And this picture might sound familiar to us. In Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus says, If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. But we can be sure, Paul is not telling the Thessalonian believers that the day of the Lord will bring judgment against them. The day of the Lord will not surprise them like a thief in the night. They're fully aware of these things. And he makes this point more clear with another picture. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Again, if we're, if we're reading closely, Paul's words right, might remind us of what Jesus says in Matthew 24 when he compares the days of Noah to his return. There he, he speaks about that the people of Noah's day lived their lives with no idea that judgment was coming until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So Paul is not speaking about the Thessalonian believers, but about their unbelieving neighbors. And in Acts 17, we read about these neighbors. The Jews were jealous and formed a mob. They told the city authorities, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. The Jews charged Paul and Silas with turning the world upside down. And to some extent, they were right. As we saw last week, the kingdom of heaven works in an entirely different way than the world. But the Jews didn't want to hear about the kingdom of heaven. They were happy with the status quo. And they played upon the fears of others in the city. The people of Thessalonica also wanted peace and security, not their world turned upside down. When the light gets turned on in a dark room, it, it hurts your eyes. You'd rather close your eyes and swipe at the light switch to try turn it back off. Comfortable darkness feels better than adjusting to the light. 
But on the day of the Lord, there will be no turning off the light switch for the unbeliever. But, Paul says, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. There's a beautiful detail in this verse. Paul has been writing to the brothers and says, you yourselves. He has been speaking to them, but not with them. But then he makes an important change. He says, you are all children of light, children of the day. And then he switches. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So he's including himself, Silas, and Timothy alongside the new believers because everything that is true about the Thessalonians' identity in Christ is also true of them. And it's also true of us. As believers in the 21st century, we can read ourselves into the we in this text. We are children of light, children of the day. As we move forward in the text, this detail helps us to apply Paul's good news and instructions more directly to ourselves. And so far in this passage, Paul has encouraged the believers by way of contrast. The day of the Lord will bring a day of terrible judgment against unbelievers. It will bring sudden destruction that is as unexpected as a thief in the night and as unpredictable and inescapable as labor pains that come upon a pregnant woman. But this is not the case for us. Children of light and of the day are fundamentally different than children of darkness and of the night. For us, the day of the Lord will not bring sudden destruction. It will not be unexpected, and we will not want to escape. And Paul doesn't yet explain why this is the case here. He'll do so a little later in the passage. But we know the truth already. Believers are different than unbelievers because we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So the difference between children of the day and children of the night is therefore a matter of identity. That's Paul's focus in these first few verses. He's not admonishing the new believers for living as though they were children of the night. He's encouraging them and us that we are children of the day. That we will not be surprised and that we can look forward to the day of the Lord. And that brings us to our second point our task as those who live in the day. Now that we've learned of our identity, of the difference between children of the day and children of the night, we may ask, what difference does this make in our day-to-day -day lives? We know that the day of the Lord is coming and that we do not have to be afraid, but what does it mean for us today? Paul gives an answer to these questions as he continues in verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. He gives instructions to the Thessalonians on the basis of their identity. Because you are children of light, he implies, this is how you should live. And again, he does so, he teaches by way of contrast. 
let us not live as others do, but in a different way. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So Paul's expanding the illustration that he used earlier. He no longer speaks about who unbelievers are, children of the night, but of what they do. In this picture, someone who sleeps at night never wakes up to a new day. Their entire life is spent in darkness. So their entire life is spent doing the things of darkness, falling asleep and getting drunk. And we, we can point out here that Paul is not speaking of literal sleep and literally getting drunk, but he's using these images to point to spiritual qualities, being spiritually unaware, spiritually asleep, someone blinding themselves even more to spiritual things as they pursue earthly pleasures. And if we look back to verse 3, we can fill out the picture of these children of the night. They are the people saying there is peace and security when there actually is not. But this isn't only what they say, it's, it's also what shapes their way of life, what they do. We can think of the people and city authorities of Thessalonica who were disturbed when they heard about Paul's teaching. They think they live in peace and security, but the peace they think of is only at the surface level. This so-called peace will be shattered on the day of the Lord when he returns in judgment. The people of 21st century, rather, the people of 1st century Thessalonica share this worldview with the people of 21st century Canada because both peoples live in the darkness of sinful human nature. We might think to ourselves about how shocking it was when Russia invaded Ukraine. Among other things, everyone saw how fragile peace in the world of sinful human beings, how fragile that peace really is. And this problem isn't just international. Many voices in our culture clamor, there is peace and security. Those who live a hard life of pain are allowed to have their lives ended with medical help to rest in peace. Those who seek to live out their sexual desires in ways different than what Scripture teaches about marriage are given free reign, no judgment. There is peace and security, so we can't disturb that peace. Surely we can't tell someone else that what they're doing is wrong. But, Paul says, he corrects this, this falsehood, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul's adding to the word picture that he's been using. The Thessalonian believers were to be as sober as on-duty soldiers. A soldier must not sleep on the job, and if he's wearing a breastplate and a helmet, he probably wouldn't be able to, at least not very comfortably. If a soldier stops paying attention to his surroundings an enemy might slip past. But this armor Paul speaks of, it isn't just any armor. This armor has roots in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 59, we read, His, that is God's own arm, brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. 
he puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. God himself put on armor to bring salvation because there was no one else who could. And now with the battle already won, the Thessalonian believers are called to take up armor themselves. And did you notice anything special about what this armor is made of? Faith, hope, and love. We're reminded of Paul's words in chapter 1, your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, the Thessalonians were to live as they were already living. To stand at attention as sober as on-duty soldiers who wear spiritual armor. Brothers and sisters, we receive the same instruction. Stand on guard as Christian soldiers. Let us put on the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love are things that we do in the present. We have faith in what God has done, is doing, and will do for us. But it's something that we live or, or that we wear in the present. And we also love in the present. We are to love each day in love for our God and our neighbor. We stand like the Thessalonian believers in contrast to the way of the world. When other people say there is peace and security, we are equipped to see beyond the surface to spiritual realities. We know true peace and security in Christ. Our faith is built on a firm foundation. With faith and love, we live soberly, knowing what the darkness looks like because we stand in the light. And the armor we must put on is given to us by the God who already won salvation for us. Who works in us this faith and love. Who equips us to stand as soldiers in our day. So we must stand as sentries looking out to our neighbors, our country. We must be so rooted in the word of God. What God teaches that we are not tempted to buy the false peace and security that the world offers. God's promises alone are sure and unshakable. This earth will pass away, but the words of our Savior will not pass away. And we must be marked by love for our God, but also for children of the night. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 1, The word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia. And your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. What a beautiful thing to be said of a church. That in the midst of affliction, faith and love led them to sound forth like a trumpet the word of the Lord. Let that be said of us, brothers and sisters. Sharing the, the gospel may turn the world upside down, but it's what our neighbors need most. And there's one more piece of armor here. We must put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. While faith and love place our focus more on the present, hope looks to the future. And what a glorious future. 
In light of their affliction, the Thessalonians would have looked with longing to the hope of full salvation to the future day of the Lord. And our suffering, the suffering in our own lives, it, it tends to do that, doesn't it? To make us long for the day of the Lord. On this earth, we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is sure of God's promises, but it doesn't see them all fulfilled yet. Hope directs our faith to a day when we shall see. We shall see the Lord Jesus coming with the clouds and bringing to us salvation in all its fullness. Our task is to live soberly, putting on the armor of this passage. Stand firm in the promises of God and stand on guard against the ways of the world. Because the day of the Lord is coming. And that brings us to our third point. Our destiny as children on the great day. In the last verses of our text, Paul moves on from pictures to speak clear gospel doctrine. He writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. These verses are the theological foundation upon which the whole passage is built. All along, we've seen that Paul contrasted two groups of people, children of the day and children of the night. We've seen how this contrast includes different identities, the day or night, or, and different tasks, being sober or being drunk. And now it comes down to different destinies. Children of the night are destined to face God's wrath, but children of the day are destined to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So a quick word of explanation here, a quick question, what is the wrath of God? It's not like human anger, which might flare up in an unfair, irrational sort of way, like when we get angry because we're short on sleep. God's wrath is perfect, righteous anger against sin. And the children of the night will face that wrath for their unrepentant sin. In Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, we read about that destiny. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. But once again, Paul pivots. He makes clear that the Thessalonian believers should not live in fear of God's wrath. And that's the same, the same thing is true for us. There is no wrath for us to face. Paul writes that God has destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can think again of God's armor in Isaiah. When no one else could win salvation, our God did it for us. His fingerprints are all over our salvation, from our predestination to our final destination. Our Lord will return to bring us full salvation, to bring us home. How can this be? How can there be such a stark differences, difference between the destinies of children of the day and children of the night? Paul explains in only a few words 
our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, who died for us. Paul has been so forward-looking in this passage that we might miss the point here. He has described things happening in the present. He has given commands. He has spoken of the future. But not here. Peter, he describes something that happened in the past. He says, our Lord died for us. So believers do not face the wrath of God because Jesus did. In Lord's Day 15, we confess during all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. We deserve to face the wrath of God, but there is no longer any wrath for us to face. Our faith, our future is rooted in Jesus' atoning work completed in the past. And so we face a glorious destiny. But there's more in our passage. Paul goes on to clarify what this future looks like. Whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here, by awake or asleep, Paul means whether believers are still living or have died before the Lord Jesus returns. And it's certainly true that already now, the souls of those who have died have gone to be with the Lord. And we take great comfort in that. And it's also true that now we live with Christ because the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. But there will be a day when we will live with Christ in body and soul. When we will see our Lord Jesus in the flesh. When our faith will be sight. How eagerly would the Thessalonian believers have longed for that day? A day when they would never again face persecution from children of the night. And how eagerly can we long for that day? We can fix our eyes on the future, looking to a day when we do not have to stand guard against the afflictions or temptations of the world, of our old nature. On that day, there will be no more standing on guard against attacks, no more battles left to fight. We won't need to be soldiers anymore. On that day, our Lord Jesus will return to bring us home. We shall see him. We shall see him alongside the Thessalonian believers who have all since died. And we, them, Paul, Silas, Timothy, every other child of the day, and us, we will live with him forever. Brothers and sisters, it's not wrong to look forward to the weekend, to take some time to relax, to enjoy the good gift of Sunday rest and worship. But that does not mean that our weekdays are meaningless, that our daily lives don't matter. And this principle is, of course, true for more than just the work week or the work year. Because we're not looking forward to wiggling our toes in the sand of Mexico or to a Friday night party. We're looking forward to the day of the Lord. Paul has taught us about how to live now in light of that great day. To live as children of the day, fully awake, to stand soberly as soldiers. And he has one final instruction for the Thessalonians and for us. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Brothers and sisters, many of us have been believers for a long time now. You also have no need to have anything written to you about these matters. We know these truths, and the Lord reminds us of them this morning for our comfort. But don't keep them to yourselves. Set the day of the Lord in front of your own troubled eyes, and then go and set the day of the Lord before the eyes of your afflicted brother and your distressed sister, and be encouraged. The Holy Spirit is at work among us. He equips you to live as children of the day and to continue to build one another up just as by grace you are doing. Amen. Let's now respond to the proclamation of God's word the only way that we can in singing from hymn 70, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.